Welcome to the TriStar Church Podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource. Now let's dive in. Well, Acts is, uh, as we have already said several times, it's the book of how the church began to spread out of Jerusalem, just like Jesus said it would, to the ends of the earth. Um, and so it uh, kind of chronicles for us uh, all the ways in which the church began to move and grow. Uh, last week, Peter and John in uh, chapter three had just healed this man who had been crippled since the time he was born. He was 40 years paralyzed. He would beg outside the temple at the uh, gate called Beautiful. Um, Um, And uh, he had healed him. And we saw that this was the first recorded event uh, that ever happened in uh, the New Testament church after Jesus ascended. And Peter had this amazing chance to preach to the crowd that had gathered inside the temple. But you do not walk in to the temple on Temple Mount and begin to preach Jesus Christ to a large crowd of people that have just witnessed a man be healed and not expect to have some kind of consequences for that act. And that's exactly what happens. Chapter four reveals that they have ticked off the religious leaders because they are preaching Jesus inside of the temple. And this uh, huge persecution is going to come down onto Peter. It's going to come down onto John. But they weren't surprised, right? Because Jesus had prepped them. If you remember back John 15, verse 20, Jesus talking to his disciples, preparing them uh, for the time, uh, for all that they would face and ministry that they would be involved in. Verse 20 said, remember what I said to you, a servant is not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And so Peter and John were well aware that as they began to move the church out of Jerusalem, as they began to take the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth, they were going to face persecution. There was going to be opposition, but this opposition did not slow Peter. It did not slow John down and it did not stop the church. Now, thousands of years later, if we can just all be honest, I know we at times like to say our lives suck, right? And we have hardships and we face difficulties, but none of us have ever really faced persecution, right? When's the last time you were threatened to be burned alive if you said you believed in Jesus? Like we don't face persecution really today in our world, in our time, in the place that we find ourselves. But this is what was happening in the early church. The enemy knew that there was a movement going forward, that this thing, that this message of Jesus was going forward and he was working to stop it and to bring it down. And the weapon that he used was persecution. Much different weapons today. Do you think about the ways in which the enemy attacks us in the church today? It's through worldliness. So becoming addicted to what the world thinks and what the world says is important and ought to matter to us. He fights us with pride and arrogance and selfishness. Instead of persecution, he comes against the church with a need for acceptance and a desire to fit in and a desire to belong in this world that we find ourselves in. He uses status 
and keeping up with everybody else around us. But the persecution that this early church faced revealed some qualities about them that I think was essential for them carrying the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Qualities that I think we need to pay attention to today in the time that we live in if we're too going to continue to do as Jesus said, to take the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. So if you join me, Acts chapter four, verse one, we're just gonna kind of go through this together, verse one. And as they were speaking to the people, The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Now, Peter and John have been gathered outside the temple. There's the temple mount, the the main part of the temple that Jews would enter into. And then there was an outer portion outside of that, uh, which is the courtyards. And that's where Peter and John found themselves. And for the last three hours, they have been preaching to people. They have been answering questions that people had about the miracle that they had just witnessed and all that Peter had told them in the sermon that he just taught. And now they are interrupted by the the temple guards. And this is no small gathering of people that were coming after Peter and John. Now, remember, the religious leaders thought that they had dealt with this Jesus movement eight weeks earlier. They thought they had snuffed this out when they crucified Jesus on the cross and they thought this was done. And then they began to hear rumblings of this thing that we now call Pentecost that we talked about in Acts chapter two, this event that had happened just a few days before where all these people got excited and all these people started turning towards Jesus. And now all of a sudden, the same two men at Pentecost, Peter and John, who were preaching and causing the stirring up of people are now publicly preaching inside the temple that Jesus has been resurrected and that people should confess him as Lord. And so they've come to find out what is being said. Now with the religious leaders are two different groups of religious leaders, the priests, and then it says that the Sadducees were with them. And then they brought their police force that uh, controlled the temple mount, the police of the, the temple mount, and they all come together. And they're angry, they're disturbed that Peter and them were teaching Jesus here on the tem- uh, in the temple. And this would have been a very intimidating experience for Peter and John. Here you are, everything's going fine. People are hearing the message of Jesus. People are excited. And now all of a sudden they're arrested. The people who have arrested them are angry and they're ticked off. Uh, Luke tells us here in Acts chapter four, when it says that they laid hands on them, that meant not that they prayed for them, they laid hands on them, all right? So these guys were uh, roughed around. They were probably hit. They were probably struck just like Jesus was done when he was arrested. Acts 4.21 later tells us that there were threats made against them. So as they uh, come and they grab Peter and John, that they were probably uh, uh, whispering and and uttering threats that we're going to hurt your family if you continue to do this. You remember Jesus? You remember just a few weeks ago what we did to Jesus? Keep it up. Keep it up. And you'll find out just how powerful we really are. Remember what we did to Jesus, Peter and John. They throw him into jail overnight. And all of this, everything that had happened, all the people that were brought against Peter and John, all were done to do one thing, and that is to make them afraid. 
Now, the early church really didn't have much going for it. We've talked about this a little bit, right? There's not many of them. They were inexperienced in their leadership, right? They had been commanded by Jesus not to fight. They weren't to be militant. They were opposed by, uh, if you look in Acts chapter four, it says there were over 11 different groups of people who opposed the early church and the Christians. Given their circumstances, given everything that Peter and John were facing, the, the, the people that had come around them, who had arrested them, who had beaten them, who had thrown them into jail, they ought to have just said, we, we, we give up. This is too much. This is enough. They should have just cowered in fear. But I love that verse five tells us that is not what Peter and John did. Verse five, on the next day, the rulers who had went home and slept in their beds and uh, hung out with their families and enjoyed their lives came back together with the elders and described if this group wasn't big enough, they got a bigger group with more important people gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, all the bigwigs. If they're naming their names, these are important people. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired by what power or by what name did you do this? They acknowledged that a miracle had occurred. They wanted to know on whose authority did you do this? This was a scene of intimidation and power. The same group that condemned Jesus is now questioning them going, hey, we, wanna, we, we want you to understand this. Understand this one thing. We can do to you what we do, did to Jesus. They wanted them to be afraid. They wanted them to be scared. They wanted them to back off and to stop preaching Jesus. And in verse eight, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today, if you are questioning me today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, you are questioning that a, a crippled man was healed? Who'd been lame his whole life? He's healed and you're questioning that? You wanna know how it happened? I love the boldness, listen to this, verse 10. Then let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, who God raised from the dead by this man standing before you is well by Jesus. This is the stone that was rejected by you, the builder, which has become the cornerstone. And listen to this verse 12. And there is no salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men, which we must be saved. Luke makes it clear. Peter was not backing down. And why was Peter not backing down? Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. How do we know he was filled by the Holy Spirit? Because Luke tells us. But not only does Luke tell us, you see it in Peter's actions. Peter is a cowardly man. He was the one who ran and hid and was afraid for his life when Jesus was being crucified. Where was this Peter then? And now he's standing with boldness, even though he could be crucified himself and he is proclaiming Jesus to the very people who killed Jesus. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And what we see 
is that when God calls us to a work, when God calls us to something he wants us to do, that through the Holy Spirit, he will give us the power and what we need to accomplish what it is he has called us to. That all of us are filled with the Holy Spirit But there are moments that he will call us and he will lead us to things that on our own we cannot do. And in those moments that he will fill us in a special way with the Holy Spirit, with what we need for that moment to do what it is he has called us to do. But let me encourage you, be careful not to chase the feeling so much that you miss living daily with the Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit is in you. Every single day of your life, the Holy Spirit is in you and he is wanting to lead you and he is wanting to guide you. But for a lot of Christians, we are chasing an emotional feeling of being used in a special way by the Holy Spirit. And that is great. If the Lord has called you to that, walk in obedience, walk in faithfulness to that, but don't chase after that and miss out on living daily with the Holy Spirit. Every single day, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He is guiding, he is directing you. I love this. Peter's reply tells us he's not intimidated. He's gonna preach Jesus. He's gonna tell him exactly who he is and he's not gonna stop there. He's gonna say he is the only way to salvation. This was a bold move on Peter's part. And I love their response to Peter's boldness. They see it, they recognize it. Listen in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. And they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Certainly Peter and John were uneducated compared to these religious men that had been gathered together in this group. They hadn't been to any kind of formal education and training on uh, Jewish scripture and on Jewish law. They had had none of that. These were common fishermen. Just like Jesus, Peter and John had no formal education, no formal training, according to what was supposed to be important at that time, but they were educated in two very important ways. Number one, they knew scripture. They understood scripture. Why? Because they had read it for themselves and they had studied it for themselves and they had just spent three years with Jesus who taught them scripture and taught them the word. And secondly, they had been with Jesus. Yeah, they were uneducated, but they had been with Jesus. And these uneducated common men were stumping these religious leaders. They realized we've got nothing on them. And so what do they do? Verse 17 in order that it may spread no further among the people. So in order that this message of Jesus and him being resurrected wouldn't continue to spread to other people and cause more chaos and more people to turn to this this Christian movement. Here's what they tell Peter and John. They say, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name, in the name of Jesus. So they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. They're worried. Why are they worried? Because in the last three to four days, over 5,000 people have heard the message of Jesus be proclaimed and have responded and and received the gift of salvation that could only come through Jesus. Over 5,000 had already responded. These religious leaders knew something was up and they were worried. They wanted to shut it down. They wanted to stop it. And yet Peter and John refused to be quiet. 
And so what do they do? In verse 21, when they refuse to be quiet, what do they do? They begin to threaten them. And when the threats don't work, they finally dismiss them. And they tell them to go. They realize we can't do anything about it. And they let them go. And what we see, the very first quality of this early church that we see in Peter and John that helped them so much in being able to carry this message to the ends of the earth is that first and foremost, they were emboldened by the Holy Spirit. That word emboldened means to be given courage and confidence to do something. Like if I, if, I, if I came up here and said, hey, I want you to get up on stage and I want you to, to, to sing a, a song for us, most of us in the room would just cower in fear. <laughs> I can't do that. I don't have what it takes to do that. But if I have Tanner come and take the next six months and devote uh, to you to help you learn how to sing and how to breathe and all the, ta- he's emboldening you. He's giving you the courage and the capacity to, to do what it is we've asked you to do. And that is what we see in Peter and John is they didn't do it in their own strength. They let the Holy Spirit embolden them, empower them. They didn't do it on their own accord. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter was not a bold and confident man. But when the Holy Spirit filled him, he became bold. He became confident. He became able to stand up and to speak the truth of Jesus, even in the face of persecution, even into the face of the very people who had just crucified Jesus, the man he loved dearly. And if the message of Jesus is going to go to the ends of the earth, it must do so resting on the courage and the confidence that comes only through the Holy Spirit empowering us, not on our own strength, not on our own effort. Verse 23, when they were released, what did they do? What did these men do when finally they were let go from the temple? Verse 23 says, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, they began to praise him. Their immediate response with with, with this encounter with the religious leaders was not to go out and begin plotting their revenge on these leaders. Their immediate response wasn't to run home and to begin to worry and stress and to fear about what was going to happen if they continued to do this. Their immediate response wasn't going and telling everybody else what had just happened. Their immediate response is they found their brothers and sisters in Christ and they prayed together. And let me just ask you a question and let me ask more importantly, me a question. How much better would my life be in the moments when I face difficulty? If instead of running to other people to tell them what I'm dealing with, instead of worrying and stressing about what I'm dealing with, what if I just went to brothers and sisters and said, let's pray together. Because what we need in this moment is Jesus. What we need in this moment is prayer. They praise God. And then listen in verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. This is what they specifically prayed for. I love this. They, they began to praise God first. And then listen in verse 29. 
And now, Lord, look upon their threats, the threats that these religious leaders have thrown at us and grant to us your servants, not protection, not escaping torture, not escaping persecution. They don't pray for that. They pray, grant to us your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. They didn't ask for safety. They didn't ask for protection. They asked for boldness to remain faithful, to continue to preach the message of Jesus, regardless of what persecution came against them. They asked for boldness to stay faithful to the mission that Jesus had called them to, regardless of their circumstances. And it seems that God was pleased with their answer. Look at verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now I used to say, I don't know about you, but when you pray, I don't, I've never experienced God, you know, causing an earthquake or anything like that. I've had to stop that now because last week our staff gathered together at the Strickland's house for our monthly prayer meeting or for our monthly prayer time and our staff meeting. And it was time to pray and to be done with our time together. And they asked me if I would pray. And I said, dear Lord. And as soon as I said, dear Lord, there was a storm happening and this loudest thunder I have ever heard. I like Sarah, I'm not joking. Sarah thought Cody fell down upstairs. Right. And like everybody in the room just kind of stopped. And I was like, did I just pray the name of the Lord? And there was like an earthquake. Like this is a, like, if, if that happens when you pray, you know, the Lord is on the same page with you. Right. I don't know if he was on the same page with me. He was with them here. The Lord was pleased with their prayer. And what we see is the second quality about this group is not only were they emboldened by the Holy Spirit, they were a prayerful group of people. They understood the importance of prayer. They understood that we are to pray without ceasing. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I love verse seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can we just write that on our hearts today? Can we just memorize that verse and remind ourselves that in everything we come before God in prayer, we take everything before him in prayer, that we ought to be men and women of prayer who are committed to letting God know what it is we're wrestling with and we're struggling with. And that as we do, we'll learn to rest in his peace. What they needed was prayer, not plotting and planning their next move, not trying to figure out how to avoid the eye of the religious leaders. They needed prayer to make their requests known to God, to ask him for boldness to continue the work that he had called them to and to rest in the sovereign answer that God would give them. Nothing of significance for the kingdom of God will ever be accomplished without prayer. It is the foundation of what we do. And if we're going to continue to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth, we must become close friends with prayer. Verse 32. 
Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. That's a fancy way of saying everybody had the same mind, had the same heart, they had the same goal. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. The third quality about this early church that helped them to take the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth was not just that they were emboldened by the Holy Spirit, not just that they were a prayerful group of people who were devoted to prayer, but they were selfless men and women. There was unity. And this unity was a beautiful demonstration of the work of God's spirit among them. It was because of their unity that they could see other people as more important than things. And in our culture, we have gotten that backwards. Our things are more important than people. Our possessions, our homes, our status, our image is all more important than the people that are around us that God is calling us to love and to serve. They recognize that God owned it all and they recognize that everything they had belonged to God. And so they were unified together. Now, I want to, be a, I want to make sure we, we clarify this because a lot of people will think that everybody at this moment went out and sold everything they had and they just gave it all together and they lived in like this, this commune. That's not what happened. The Greek does not mean that they sold all their property at once. Rather, here's what it means. It means that from time to time, as a need arose, that they would do what was necessary to take care of the need. If somebody in the early church all of a sudden uh, had an expense that they couldn't take care of and somebody else had two uh, uh, cows that they could sell and it would pay the bill, they would go sell the two cows to pay the bill for this person. They were selfless. They sacrificed for one another. They were so selfless that verse 34 says that there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands and how, of land and homes sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold to meet the needs of the people around them. The church was selfish, selfless, not selfish. And what I'm convinced of today is that what the church needs more than anything is selfless pastors who are less concerned with using the church to build a platform or building their own empires or their own brands and who are more concerned with sacrificing themselves for their people. That we all would learn to be selfless people who are committing to use what God has given us to bless our neighbors and to show our neighbors who Jesus is. And I'm convinced that anything less than that will only distract from the self-sacrificing gospel work that Jesus began on the cross. The church was never meant to be a platform to build our own personal kingdoms on. And there are a lot of people committed to doing that today. There are a lot of people who view the church, they view this stage as a place to build a platform for their talents and their skills and their abilities. And that's not what God called it to be. The church has always been meant to be an altar in which you and I come and sacrifice our lives upon for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the message of Jesus going out. And friends, that was the early church. 
It's part of why I think the church isn't as successful today with carrying the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Because we become much more selfish with what the Lord has placed into our hands instead of being selfless and laying it all on the altar for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of God's kingdom. I don't believe that Jesus is done with his church. I don't believe when you read the last chapter of Acts, that's it of the church moving forward. I think God is continuing to write his story. He's continuing to call people to step out into faith and to continue to write the book of Acts thousands of years later after it was originally written through you and through me. And the question is, will we devote ourselves to prayer? Will we be selfless men and women to allow the Holy Spirit to embolden us and to lead us and to equip us to go out and carry the gospel to the ends of the earth, starting here in our community and working its way to the very ends of the earth. God, we come before you. We thank you for the example of Peter and John who didn't allow persecution to stop them in their tracks, but rather who devoted themselves to prayer, who chose to be selfless, who didn't see their lives as something uh, to build for themselves, but instead laid on the altar and sacrificed themselves for your kingdom and for your church and for the gospel and for Jesus moving forward. Would we do the same? Every person in this room, Father, has a mission field around them. They have neighbors, family members, friends, coworkers who need the gospel of Jesus. They desperately need to see who Jesus is. And God, you are calling each of us to be a living, breathing example of Jesus in the places we live, work, and play. So, Father, I pray for each and every one of us that we would do that this week. I pray that we would commit ourselves to prayer. We would devote ourselves to prayer. That we would be selfless in our relationships, we would be selfless with what you have blessed us with. And would we follow in obedience as the Holy Spirit leads us to people, places, and opportunities? And would we let him fill us with the power and strength we need to do what it is he is leading us to do? that the world would see Jesus through us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarnox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website, or you can text the word GIVE to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers, equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work, and play. Grace and peace.